0: As I was closing up for the night, I thought about all the movies that had been discussed in the spoiler room. That was when the temperature in the room changed. I went to the thermostat and it said it was 52 degrees KB. Suddenly I found myself in a maze of movie posters. No matter what direction I went, each path led me back to one actor, Kevin Bacon. That was when it was clear what I had to do. When I snapped out of it, I added bacon to the menu. 2020 was going to be an interesting year in the Spoiler Room. And welcome, my friends. Yes, here we are. It is the Spoiler Room. Thank you so much for coming down the stairs and pulling up a chair with us. As always, with the temperature this year being 52 degrees KB, and we are getting to a film that uh, I was happy... In my retooled July, I was able to put back in the docket and still make work just because uh, I wanted to talk about this film because I don't think a lot of people actually do. And uh, tonight we're going to explore it quite a bit. The film's called Snake Eyes from 1998. And with me, as who has been with me throughout most of this journey, always welcome in the spoiler room. And it it's none other than Mr. Ian Simmons. He is with us. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing, uh, doing well, doing very, very well, actually, uh, you know, weather's been actually cooperating relatively well lately. So, uh, a few, few lightning storms in that, but overall, you know, been had, had the Pokemon fest weekend cause I play Pokemon go. So, you know, uh,
1: I I yeah. saw you posting about that. How does that actually work? Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's all, you're just in your house going around your house or can you just sit <laughs> on your couch or what you can. Uh, well, I mean, you, you, you can still go for walks and
0: stuff, you know, because of COVID a go-go. So you can go out and out to parks and outside, and it's a it's a virtual app. And when you go to a lo- it, it, based off of your location, and there's certain stops and things that you can do. And while you walk about, things pop up on your phone map. Uh, that you could catch in that. So
1: yeah, I, I used yeah. to play Pokemon Go. I just oh, okay. like there was that new virtual, that, that new event that you described. I'm right. like, well, How is it different? I mean, um, it, now here's a question: During COVID nineteen, when the Pokemon pop up. Are they socially distant from you, like six feet away, <laughs> and are they wearing masks? Because uh, if not, I can't endorse this either way. Yeah,
0: unfortunately, though, they are not wearing masks. Uh, but they they tend to be farther away from you, so like across <laughs> the street or whatnot. Not always. Um. Well, normally the way the GoFest works, and this is what people just wanted to hear us talk about, but in, in <laughs> any case, the way the GoFest works is usually you go to a city and you, you get a ticket, a virtual ticket uh, on your account for one day during the weekend. It's over the week, course of a weekend and you get one day, either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, and I have a coworker who's gone to a few of them. He's actually traveled because he's a, he and his wife are a big pokemon go players and when you go there you go to a specific area usually it's a very large park and there's stops and such there and you get special research and there's special uh items you can get special pokemon you can get and all the kinds of these things that you can only get when you do the fest okay and so the virtual fest was similar Uh, when you're at the location fest, there's various areas in the park or wherever you're at that are different types. Like a fire types are in this corner and, and water types are in this corner and yada yada. Well, for the virtual one, they just did it every hour would change the different type and Mm. you use an item called incense if you wanted to play from home. And when you use the incense, it attracts Pokemon to your area. So all you would have to do if you really wanted to was, was uh, use an incense and stay at your home and the Pokemon come to you. <laughs>
1: all and, right.
0: that, and that's how the incense work. Now I still did a w- bunch of walking around, um, outside cause we've got lots of parks, uh, in my town. So, and uh, lots of Pokemon players too. So, you know, I, I didn't have to, but I still did that. The weather was, was fairly nice. So it was great to get out and I got, uh all the special researches and the items and such and and got a lot of pokemon that I couldn't get otherwise so that's cool yeah, you know and it was only 15 bucks usually the event is the, the tickets like 30 bucks and it's only one day and this was 15 bucks for two days and, uh-huh. while, and and so they tried to do the experience the best they you know similar to what it is for the actual fest and i thought they did a fairly good job there were some bumps and hiccups uh but overall yeah so,
1: nice. There you go folks, a little insight into Pokémon Go. But <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, how does that relate back to Kevin Bacon?
0: <laughs> uh how does Pokémon Go relate back to Kevin Bacon? He might play,
1: I don't know um <laughs> in which case everybody's connected to him i was gonna uh, i was waiting for you to, to try and pull some like uh well you know the well, detective pikachu came out and ryan reynolds was in that and he's connected to Ke- kevin well, actually
0: you could play it play at that angle yeah you could do uh let's see well now you see you got my brain going oh, now sh- way to go i'm sorry i'm sorry <sighs> you know i my add can handle that because now it's going to be chewing around in the background going okay ryan reynolds was
1: voiced in
0: this and
1: yeah um <laughs> so- Here, here's the thing if you can figure out how it relates to detective pikachu i'd like to propose that we do an episode where we're playing pokemon go and talking <laughs> about that movie yeah <laughs>
0: we may we may just uh we may just have to do that, <laughs> but we're not talking about detective Pikachu tonight no no we're talking about the nineteen ninety eight film snake eyes starring <laughs> <laughs> cocaine cage uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god, yes.
0: <laughs> Directed by Brian De Palma and Ian, uh please uh, give my wonderful listeners who've been very patient for the last oh ten minutes us talking Pokemon, <laughs> uh give them the insight of uh basically what this movie's about.
1: Um I'll do my best. Uh Nicholas Cage plays a corrupt Atlantic City cop. Uh, who is going to a boxing tournament that's being held in part of a casino that's being about ready to be torn down? Uh, a new construction is going up. On top of that, there's a giant hurricane slash tropical storm happening outside. His best friend is a navy captain or some general, high-ranking guy played by Gary Sinise. They've got you know ringside seats to the boxing match. Uh, the Secretary of D- Defense is in attendance for some reason, and there's an assassination attempt on the Secretary's life. Uh, the entire place is locked down, and that becomes it becomes a game of cat and mouse to find out who killed the Secretary of Defense or tried to, and why, and who's playing who, and angles are all over the place. And that's that's pretty much Snake Eyes. Um, I I'm not doing it justice because it's one of the craziest movies I've seen starring Nicolas Cage. And that really is saying something. It's a mess, but I kind of loved it.
0: (laughs) It's De Palma. And, you know, it's one of those things where I love this film. I I remember watching (laughs) it first off. This is the type of film I like to see uh, because while at its core, its story is very basic. This is one of those you watch for all the film stuff that the Palma yeah. does in this movie. This movie, the storyline itself is not that complicated, but it's it's all the technical stuff and the stuff that you realize what they're doing to tell this narrative that I just find fascinating in this film to see such a, a star cast like this in a big-budget film like this, a wide release, to try to pull this off. I thought that's what always impresses me with this film. Every time I watch it,
1: you know, this is the first time I've ever seen it was watching it today Mm -hmm. in preparation for this conversation. Um, so yeah, it it is a simple story, but it's dolled up, I think through the performances and the filmmaking to make it seem a lot more kind of web of conspiracy than it (laughs) might actually be. Because there were points when I was like, "Uh, wait, who's doing what and and why, but uh, it all, it all ultimately makes sense. Um, it's also, you know, I'm not as familiar with Brian De Palma's filmography as I should be, but I do get the feeling from what little I know that this is one of his most De Palma-yest movies. And <laughs> it that's is. not it's not to say that what he does is easy. It's just say that you, you can recognize the signatures and he indulges in a lot of those from the split screens to, the, to just that weird buttery lighting that he's got um, to – One of the most magnificent shots I've seen, uh, you know, in a film is just that sweeping over the different hotel suites at the casino, yeah, Uh, just you know, a lot of fun, yeah. There's
0: that's the thing is this is really a a film fan. If you if you like seeing, uh, and if you're familiar with the Palma stuff, you know, he's always doing interesting things visually. Um, And I'm not talking like Kubrick, do it 285 times. No, Um, I'm not talking about stuff like that. It's just he really he plays with the visual narrative more so than, you know, the, the, the story, the meat of the story or emotions itself. Like you said, there's this wonderful shot a little later on where. Uh, there, there, as, uh, Ian put it, there's an assassination attempt on the secretary of defense. And there is a woman there who, uh, you find out later why she was there. Uh, and she's on the run from, uh, a character. And so she hides in a hotel room. And meanwhile, uh, the main bad guy who it's a spoiler room, folks. Prepare yourself. Uh, Gary Sinise's character is looking for her. And yeah, he he knocks on this door and you get this top down shot and it travels not to the room where she's at, but a room like halfway down the hall, three rooms down. And you just follow this thing from the top, which is wild because it's a set. You you, Mm knew this isn't like. They had to build these hotel rooms so they could get this camera shot (laughs) the way they do it. And so you start thinking about how they do it. And I'm like, I know people say, well, why are you thinking about how they do the film when you're trying to get into the film? I'm like, that's part of the De Palma, I think, uh, signature is, is the techniques and stuff and how he tries to break from traditional stuff. And it just is wild to see what he does. And yeah, I love this top-down scene. Never mind the fact the film opens with a (laughs) 13-minute. I kid you not. I'm not lying. Am I? 13-minute tracking shot.
1: Now, where does the tracking shot end? Because I uh, I knew that it opened with a really long tracking shot, but I didn't uh, take note of how long it was supposed to be. So, is that all the way up through the fight, or is it when, when does it stop? Uh, it stops with
0: the shot. Okay. Um, when when she when when he gets shot, because uh, the camera is always moving, and they play with mm-hmm. it well. Uh, Now, granted, they do flub it a little uh, by doing a TV scene and then they come out through the TV scene to where you're watching it on TV. You're going from a news reporter live on scene and then right through TV now. But they still it goes all the way 13 minutes until the the defense guy is shot.
1: And that's that's what I thought. And I was kind of marveling at just the. The way that the camera, you know, whips around, mm-hmm. you know, you're seeing what other characters are seeing. Like if someone turns their head really quickly to see something across the arena, the camera will whip to follow that. And then it'll whip back. And this, you know, I could be wrong about this. I mean, it's 1998, so I don't think they were doing like this digital cover-up, you know, thing where it's really easy to hide a cut if you wanted to, to make it look continuous. Um, like a Birdman type thing. Yeah, But... I'm thinking all of that coordination all of that setup and still to just have everything resting on the cameraman like being able to whip things back and forth <laughs> and have it like stay perfectly in focus when you recover and keep going with the action I mean it's 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 mastery It it is it. I mean if nothing else about this
0: film you watch it for that first 13 minutes the way they play with it and then later on as you realize that this is one of those films where it's a uh same event told from different perspectives uh type of stories which can work if they're done well and i think they're done it's done fairly well here they it makes you wonder if he had camera people hidden in the audience Mm. at the time because the some of these scenes you could usually tell when they do this it was replicated you know it was it was a reshot Right, Uh, But a number of these scenes in here don't feel that way. It feels like they all shot these things (laughs) at the same Mm -hmm. time as you get the flashbacks, of course, as people talk and give their recount of what they witnessed. Am I off on that? Or does it feel like uh, some of these scenes were shot at the exact same time?
1: It it does have that feeling. And I don't know if uh, because I think the way some of the the scenes are set up, Mm -hmm. I feel like you'd have to go. Back and reshoot them because there's sure. been a way to hide the cameraman. I'm thinking specifically where that scene where Nicholas Cage is knocking on the door of the boxer's dressing room and he sees Louis Guzman and oh, see yeah. someone else like down the hall, and then later mm-hmm. we see that from the reverse. Like the the, the camera person would have been right there. <laughs> but having said that. The way that if they did go back and shoot these things twice, they got it so close to the original delivery and the pacing and the setup and everything that it looks like, uh, you know, one continuous thing with <laughs> hidden camera elves. So, again, <laughs> another another hats off. Um, one, one thing I thought was strange and it's the first time I noticed that they were playing with time in this movie mm-hmm. and perspective. It was really jarring because it's when we first see from the boxer's point of view when he's kind of peeking into that room where he sees Louis Guzman and one of the other people talking to him. And then Nicolas Cage comes to the other door. Right. He's the, – the lawyer is talking to him and trying to like kind of keep him out of the room. But he's peeking into the room and I'm like – this is really strange. This is almost like a killer POV. Like the, the people who are talking to the camera. doesn't know that this is like the, the murderer. And then we see the boxer trying to nudge the door open and you see that he's like using his boxing glove. I'm like, this is the weirdest slasher movie I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and I realized, oh no, it's just, we've traveled back in time from a different perspective from what we've just seen. And once I got over that hump, I, I recognized it later Later on in the film when it was happening, and it was you know it's it's beautiful
0: yeah it 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 is uh and again the p o v shot that's another thing we've seen from de Palma before um and here though it is it is interesting because uh you get the story because we've got cocaine cage, and yes it's what I'm <laughs> gonna call him during this whole thing because Nick Cage if he's not (laughs) he it's hard to say if it's just crazy cage or if it's cocaine cage but whatever the cage is he is insane throughout this entire film Uh, but he's sitting with our boxer and he's recounting it and yeah there's just this cut to where you think at first okay this is the camera we're watching events play out and you're like oh no wait this is a POV (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and he does that more than once in this movie and it's just interesting because it throws you off because there's no like indication or like a tie-in voiceover like well you know that night and usually you have like one word carrying over and so you'd go okay this must be the pov no you just cut and all of a sudden you're like oh
1: (laughs) yeah and it's but it's something that it's almost like learning a new language like you're like what the hell are they talking about and then once you kind of learn a few words you can hook into it and recognize it later on and that's what happens in this movie with the pov stuff and it's it's really effective um the boxer uh a character named lincoln taylor tyler yes uh I don't know if you recognized him. He was the, he was the cop from the monster squad. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he's
0: been in a number of, I I like him every time he shows up. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's like, uh, why doesn't he get more roles? But he
1: does, he's been in many supporting roles. So I, I don't, um, I don't, he's that's like monster squad is the one place I really recognize him from, mm-hmm. especially when it says a silver skull. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah. And the other little kick I got out of this was there's an actor in the movie and I recognize his name in the credits and he's Mm -hmm. one of those character actors. Every time he shows up, I'm like, oh, I like, I like that guy. Mm -hmm. His name's Kevin Dunn. Yeah. Now Gary Sinise's character in this movie is also named named Kevin Kevin Dunn. Dunn. Yeah. At one point you've got one guy interviewing the other guy on TV. So you've got Kevin Kevin Dunn Dunn. talking to Kevin Dunn and introducing (laughs) him as Kevin Dunn. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little, little meta
0: surreal. There, it's just like, wait, what? And, it goes uh,
1: beyond uh, meta. It's like, yeah,
0: we're all living in a simulation. <laughs> Yeah, I I caught that, and I'm like, wait, the actor, or the, the the guy? Oh no, the the character. Okay, okay, but that's Kevin <laughs> Dunn. Okay, I'm confused. Uh, Stan Shaw is the guy's name who plays the detect that a boxer. Mm, um, okay, and he's been in a lot of things. Yeah, Monster Squad. Uh, but you know, he's been in a number of action films like Under Siege and that. He's been oh, in yeah. stuff. He's a steady actor. He's a character actor too, in a sense. You know, he he plays a lot of a, a number of supporting roles in that and he's he's that guy that shows up he's the actor that when you see him you go holy crap that i like that you know i i love his performance I, he's one of those guys but he he's never really on the top bill he's usually yeah. a supporting role uh but he's always good when you see him um you know so
1: And he was great in this movie because there's a couple of different layers to his character. Um, Mm -hmm. You kind of just assume, oh, he's the the asshole meathead guy. But when we go to that flashback where he's actually in the ring and he's kind of walking through how the fight that he was supposed to throw because he owed money to all these people in Vegas and this was his big fix, um, the other – the guy he was fighting who was supposed to beat him even though under normal circumstances that would be impossible – just watching his face of defeat and kind of fear when the other dude is in danger of actually getting knocked out. Yeah. It's it's all in slow motion. You register like I don't think I've ever seen this in a boxing movie before. Just like that that whole range of emotions sweeping mm-hmm. over him. And it's all so subtle. And it's all very quick. So yeah, hats off to him.
0: Oh yeah. It's when he's talking about how he's the heavyweight champion. All he knows is boxing and he's going to throw the match and they do the slow-mo and you, you just see it on this guy's face. He's just like, he doesn't want to do this, but at the same time, he, he has to do this and it's all there in that, in that camera shots. Cause he
1: doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue, but yeah, it's, it's also kind of like humiliation because mm-hmm. it's bad enough. That he has to throw the fight. He doesn't want to, but to do it, From a showboater who isn't even good at faking a fight, he's like, "Come on, man! Couldn't you put me up against like Foreman or Tyson or something? Not this guy." Yeah, because
0: Uh, this guy just sucks at at even. Yeah, he's showboating. He if if his opponent wasn't telegraphing anymore. Hey, this fight's staged. and I know I'm going (laughs) to win? (laughs) <laughs> you, you know, it'd be like me getting in the ring with Mike Tyson and showboating, knowing that Tyson's going to throw the fight for me. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, it's that bad. Uh, yeah. And you feel, you feel for this guy. It's actually heartbreaking. It's funny that in this kind of crime thriller that you're getting, you get this, this character that Stan Shaw's playing. That's it's heartbreaking that the, the, the boxer and he even becomes kind of a, a, a uh, a minion of uh dun of mm-hmm. Gary Sinise's character later on to where uh because Gary uh dun and uh cocaine cage are buddies <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I should I should call him that Rick Santoro Okay, there you go. I keep Uh, thinking
1: of Rick Santorum, the Republican. uh, Yeah, (laughs) and I think of Rick
0: Santoria. I think he was a wrestler or something. Anyway, no. Uh, (laughs) Hey, perfect. uh, Yeah. Um, So Rick Santoro, played by Dick Cage, is uh, friends with Commander Kevin Dunn. And Commander Kevin Dunn is the dun dun dun, the bad guy. <laughs> um, no pun intended there. Uh <laughs> and at one point they they confront each other because uh the girl that Dunn has been searching for, uh, uh you know, Rick Stantoro finds first and saves her, and she tells him that, yeah, your buddy, uh she doesn't know as his buddy, is crooked, and so he confronts it, and, and yeah, he he basically gets bribed by Dunn for a million dollars, which we've already established Rick Santoro has a very low moral compass Mm -hmm. in that it it doesn't really go anywhere. It just spins. Um, (laughs) (laughs) His his moral compass just spins. It never really stays in one direction. Um, And he refuses the money in some, you know, moment of enlightenment and then gets the crap beat out of a private boxer.
1: <laughs> yeah. In spectacular fashion. I mean, I love that he gets, uh, well Dunn is actually the one who knocks him out. Yeah. Um, and then he, Sinise plants. A, this is so like GI Joe cloak and dagger <laughs> shit. He actually plants a little bug on the back of his coat <laughs> and then he lifts his head up and you could see cage just like his eyes rolled back in his head <laughs> and then he flops back over. Um, it's fun though the one the one bit of sloppy camera work I'll have to say is yeah. that um, there's a scene where there's a redhead who was we think as the audience was the distraction for the for the fight right and she kind of was but she was also in on you know Dunn's operation but when Dunn follows her backstage mm-hmm. he takes a moment to check her out and at that moment we are seeing his point of view right so the camera like, goes from her flowing red hair down to her boobs down to her butt and legs and and back up right that's not how a man ogles a woman <laughs> he does it with his eyes now i understand it's supposed to be like it's creative license and everything but dude you have no game if you're like your entire head is like what if you're that obvious man you're just you're... especially this guy's been like in war zones and flying you know <laughs> wait not flying submarines what the hell but he's been commanding submarines and stuff he can't you know take a peek without getting caught yeah <laughs> Call bullshit Brian. Brian. de Palm face. No, Brian, uh... Brian de Palm Face. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That that was that was a little bit because we're doing POV again, as I mentioned, it happens a number of times. And yeah, he it it if you think about the logistics of how they were doing the PoE, you realize there was no subtlety to his looking at mm. all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> First, he, he was telling it from his point of view sure uh,
1: you know and so maybe it was played up a little bit it maybe i you know I'm but you know the palma loves his women uh, as we've as has been established many times and uh the the lovely carla gugino who plays the analyst who's trying to uncover this big conspiracy she gets a lot of time in her underwear which you know i'm not complaining about but <laughs> you know we've, we've talked about the 2020 lens quite a bit i'm like yeah this is wow this is so 1998 <laughs>
0: yeah it 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 is definitely 1998 um and the the way the way the female characters are treated in here aren't are they're just side characters or like you said the 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 redhead which we assume is the distraction by being the eye candy Mm -hmm. um and, and then yeah the other character who is actually the whistleblower She's the one that's calling out, saying Kevin Dunn is uh crooked. they're flubbing the results of this high profile missile defense system just so that they could push it through, and uh that's what kind of sparks this whole thing and But her character is just there to to basically be the damsel in distress, unfortunately, I mean she uses her wits a bit to to escape yeah. Dunn, but let's face it. I mean, she gets her moment, but a lot of it is—is is she's just kind of dragged around by one guy or another,
1: <laughs> right? She's you know trying to get you know use a guy who's you know wants to get her up in the hotel room for safety because Dunn is you know trying to follow her. That guy, by the way, looked crazily like Josh Gad. I had a hard time like not <laughs> believing that was him. Maybe it's like his uncle, but. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I do really like, I thought I thought Carla Gugino was fantastic uh, in this movie. I, I like her in general as, mm-hmm. as an actress, not only from Troop Beverly Hills, which amazingly yeah. was only a few years before this movie, but um, in that scene in the stairwell where she's laying all her cards out on the table with Nicolas right. Cage, I thought she really believed you know those the stuff that mm-hmm. she was saying. I'm like, yeah, this is, she's a great character. And then you cut over to Nicholas Cage, whose incredulity, you know, manifests <laughs> itself as like an eight ball. He's like just like going <laughs> off on her. It is amazing how two different scenes, you know, are taking place in this one scene. He he switches
0: on a diamondist. That's why, folks. Yes, I call it Cocaine Cage because. The sheer volume of energy his character continuously has throughout this entire film, even when he gets the shit beat out of him. <laughs> and he's got broken ribs and stuff, and he, he's, he's, you know, martyring himself, you know, Stella type of, he's, he's roaming the halls, beat to hell, trying to get back uh, to, uh, uh, Carly, uh, Gino's character. Um, You know, even then, he's still got energy. It's like he is just constant throughout, but he, he goes from being cop, like I'm doing my job to shady Vegas cop. It's like, it's like duty and not duty on a dime. He just, he just switches. It's wild, his character in this.
1: Yeah, and it, it that that last scene where he's stumbling, you know, towards the the mm-hmm. locker, wherever the hell they were, um, and Gary Sinise is following him. He his face is all swollen, and he was doing kind of his cageisms that reminded me of when he was in Face Off, right after he had taken his own face <laughs> off, and he's like, jangling the painkiller pills, like, oh. Ho, 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 ho. Oh man, you do love you.
0: You do that well. You you can't that's the thing though. You can't help but love his performance in here. You're watching this and you just it's so infectious. You just watch him and go, This is this is why so many people just love watching Nick Cage on screen, especially when he's being his manic self, because it's so authentic and it's he's all in on this that you can't help but kind of be entertained and, and
1: amazed by, <laughs> by Yes. Uh, now, did you ever see the movie he did about 10 years ago called Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans? I have not watched it yet. It's on my list because I liked Bad Lieutenant,
0: which uh, initially had uh, um, um Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel, thank you, in it.
1: But I did not see it, no. Uh, bump it up on your list and just okay. imagine... Imagine a, a shared universe in which his character in this movie is like the cousin of the character in that movie because they're very similar. Like in in Bad Lieutenant, it's like Nicolas Cage is playing his Santoro character mixed with the guy he was playing in Leaving Las Vegas. Wow. Just like that kind of energy, but with like serious drug problems. <laughs>
0: it's a blast. <laughs> He's kinda like that but but with serious drug problems uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it's it, his character but that's what I liked about the way his character was written in here because he he's not a great guy, he's got a wife and kid, but he also has a girlfriend, very kind of tropish it if this thing wasn't quite so high energy and high profile, it almost
1: feels like a noir in spirit yes well and in execution i mean Mm -hmm. the, the score is very much film noir gary sinise um you know i I feel like an idiot because I should have seen his heel turn coming. Right. And for the first 20 minutes of the movie, y- you get the feeling that he is best friends with with Nicolas Cage's character and that he's an upstanding guy. Like you've got the Boy Scout and the fuck up friend and you think that's <laughs> going to be the kind of dynamic as they try and solve this case. But it turns out that Sinise is behind everything. Um, but when he gets his several monologues where he's explaining stuff or negotiating, he does have this kind of like a like a it was all gonna be you know you were fighting for justice and you know you had to have your your, your ideals and you don't know what it's like to listen to a man drown i'm like this sounds like straight out of the 1940s yeah but it was great it was you know that's not a criticism of it no it
0: isn't uh and yeah you're right in execution i guess you could almost consider this a noir film i guess i just don't quite because it 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 is rather kinetic for it. Usually, mm-hmm. noir has a little bit of slower spots, and you really don't get the even when, even when you get Nick Cage and Gary Sinise monologuing, uh, you know about what has happened. They're cut to flashback scenes that are are fairly high energy. So you know, but not, now that you mention it, yeah, it is an execution as well with with the characters because you don't have. There's there well, there's only one really good character, and she's the one that, you know, uh you're right, acted very well. I just I I didn't think I would have liked to see her maybe be a little bit stronger, but I understand they didn't. Julia, you know, the Julia Costello character, uh played by Carla, uh she's really the only good character, the good person in this entire
1: film. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Rick Santora kind of but And that's yeah
1: that's one of the the big problems I think I have with the movie. If it wasn't Nicolas Cage, I think because I, I give him he skates by with a lot of that manic performance, but if you just look at this from a basic kind of a story level you really needed someone in there like a Harvey Keitel uh, to play that character as someone you believe is a dirty, irredeemable cop because that's the only way there's any kind of tension with his arc. Because that whole time Gary Sinise is like, how about $500,000? You know, How about $750? A million I'll give you a million dollars. At no point did I think that Nicolas Cage was going to take that money. <laughs> no, no. And it's yeah. like a 10-minute scene. It's like, just, just move it along. I, there's no tension here. Mm-hmm. If you've got someone who... Like Harvey Keitel in the first Bad Lieutenant, where he's like, you know, abusing people and jacking off in front of teenagers and like <laughs> snorting coke uh, <laughs> off of nuns or something. Then I'm like, okay, there's a chance he might, you know, just sell out this girl. <laughs> but you, he doesn't. Yeah, because he's I, Nicolas Cage.
0: Because c- he's Nicholas Cage. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things too where you could say, well, no, he does some shady things. He does bets and that. I'm like, yeah, shaking. Okay, so he shakes down Lewis Guzman's drug dealer character to get money that he could use then for a sports bet uh okay, but he's still shaking down a drug dealer. It's not like he's he's you know pulling in protection money from someone he's he shouldn't really be doing that, but then you think about it going well, on the scale of
1: things that make you a bad person (laughs) right or if if there'd been stories about how he like run around like you know shooting perps or you know (laughs) executing people for money if he'd been like a mob heavy Uh, but yeah you're right he's he's shaking down these lovable thieves and oh i got the ketchup on my hands it's dollar you know there's blood on the dollar bills it turns to be ketchup package packets that was kind of an inventive little twist but yeah it's just it's too goofy for me to buy him as the kind of guy who's got this big moral decision that I'm supposed to be wrapped up in.
0: But I'm wondering if that's what they were trying to go for with him because he had this big dream of being on TV and eventually becoming mayor of Vegas <laughs> or, or uh, <laughs> Atlantic City. Uh uh where, No, this was Vegas, right? Yeah. This, no, it was no, New Jersey. New Jersey, so Atlantic yeah. City. Sorry. It's always hard to tell between those two. My apologies. So if I've been saying Vegas at all during
1: this podcast, I apologize to all. Um, hey, the, but, movie, the movie does not help because the end song by Meredith Brooks, who had a big hit with Bitch, um, she does a song called Sin City, which yeah. is Las Vegas. And this <laughs> right. is an Atlantic City movie. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Sorry, go
0: ahead. <laughs> casinos. Nonetheless, there's casinos yeah. involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, with this, though, you know, he's got these big dreams. But at the same time, it's almost as if De Palma's putting folks in on the joke going in he's never going to reach his dreams he, you're looking at nick cage's character going you're always going to be small potatoes <laughs> you're you're just going to be a detective because he tries to play and i think that's part of the angle too is everybody's and maybe it's just the way it was written and maybe it's nick cage's manicness but the way i impression i kind of got from his character was He's a guy who's playing at trying to be, like, the bad cop or trying to be the crooked cop or, like you said, the bad lieutenant type of character. But you can tell deep down he just can't. He, He actually can't be. I mean, yeah, he's got a girlfriend and he's got a wife and all, but you almost feel like he's doing that going through the motions because, you know... That's what he thinks or whatever. He's trying to be the bad boy, but at, at at his heart, he's a guy who immediately when there's a crime scene, he actually pulls procedure, knows what he's doing uh, and starts, you know, taking command and actually does an active investigation and listens to a witness. You know, what I mean, it's just like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and he's also like at the end, he's taking his kid out to go fishing and stuff. You know, he's, he he just looks like that. That that just I, I'm convinced that was just Nicolas Cage with his son. <laughs> 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 um, but the you know jumping ahead a bit, I did yeah. like that this movie had not a downer ending because the guy kind of gets the girl, but just this idea that uh, Santoro even though he's a hero and he's awarded like the, the medal the this the medal from the city he still gets caught up in corruption scandals and like sent to prison
0: <laughs> well and it's it's uh it it's what he was warned about yeah. um you know the uh his buddy uh you know dunn who's crooked as they come in and, and a big time murderer he he warned him he's like if you shine the light on me All this is going to come down on you. All the shady stuff you have done in your past is going to come down and you're not going to be a hero. And he's right. And
1: I was impressed, in all honesty, that De Palma shows this. You see, I'm disappointed now because until you mentioned that, I had forgotten about that exchange. Oh, sorry. I just, (laughs) no, no, I just assumed that because he's the guy that he is that he just you know used that notoriety to like get into more you know schemes and he just got caught. <laughs> oh no no that, yeah, <laughs> i wasn't thinking about the conspiracy <laughs> yeah it,
0: it's it, it was one of those things because he he was trying to uh talk him into that was during the million dollar offer right. um <clears throat> you know it was one of those things where uh he also mentions about if you take me down you know you, you're 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 not going to be the hero, you're not going to be a mayor because all the stuff that you've done in the past is going to come back and haunt you basically, and it does and i I liked that they showed that you know there's actually a character arc for our manic santoro uh for Cocaine Cage. His character <laughs> does have some uh uh you know there there he pays his pound of flesh at the end so he doesn't get away scot-free like they've played his character. And and, and I liked I, I liked that. You're right, he does get the girl because uh, she comes back because he actually came back for her when he easily is the type of guy that could possibly take the million dollars, though you never really buy it. But as far as the movie world is concerned, he's that type of guy. Um, and you do get a really cool scene
1: at the end involving a, a jewel. So... <laughs> Now, help me out with that. Hmm. What is the deal with that jewel? I missed that completely. Okay, well, uh,
0: one of the people that ended up getting killed had the jewel on the ring. I forgot which person it was, but they had the uh, uh, the jewel on their finger. And you see it when they've got a body wrapped up in plastic. Um, when they leave Nick Cage knocked out, like mm-hmm. beat after he got beat from being caught... There's in the background, there's a body that's wrapped up in plastic that they're starting to lower into concrete that you just get a glimpse of a ring on the finger. Okay. Yeah. I- because it's one of the bodies uh, that of uh, James Dunn's uh, uh, one of his victims.
1: I forget yeah. which one
0: it was, but
1: when I saw that ruby in the pillar, I assumed mm-hmm. that what it was and I just had missed something. So, yeah, okay, I think that's that's what happened. Yeah, that makes sense. And cuz cuz I wondered it is a very long way to go for such a small payoff <laughs> because that end credit <laughs> sequence is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like a like a village people, uh, you know, Dr. Pepper commercial or something of people just putting up pillars and, and doing construction work
0: well they're constructing the millennium tower because if you learn later on uh that's part of it the money that was coming from the uh this whole thing going down kevin dunn was working in not Jamestown. Dunn, kevin dunn uh was working with uh um gilbert powell played by uh, john Hurd, who was investing in the tower, the new Millennium Tower, that was going in place of the casino where this event was taking place. So that plays into that. That's why they have the pillars, because they're still building the casino, apparently. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the side characters that I, I liked, the person we have mentioned, Kevin Dunn, not Gary Sinise's character, but the actual <laughs> Kevin Dunn, playing Lou Logan, the reporter, there's a fun bit they do with him, because... He's, uh, hounding Rick Santoro, uh, for the, for the story, because he's just usually a pay-per-view announcer, uh, doing, you know, soft pieces. And so here he actually that crime and he wants to become a reporter. And did you notice something they did about the sum of money that was going to get paid? <laughs> uh, they, they play around with the figure of It was going to be $2,000 and then it became five, right? Well, he. It starts off when we first see Kevin, uh, when Lou Logan, played by Kevin Dunn, the the announcer. He sees Rick. Rick talks him into going from fifty to investing a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. When Rick goes to the bookie, it's three thousand dollars. No, it's five thousand dollars. Then he goes and uh, shakes down the drug guy, Cyrus. And he ends up giving the bookie two thousand now, saying that he's good for it, thinking that he'll win, you know, the money back, and he won't actually have to pay up the other amount uh, when he wins the bet. So he pays two thousand dollars. So then later on, when <laughs> and I I don't know why my brain focused on this, but I just <laughs> was fascinated when Lou Logan shows up again. He's trying to bribe uh, Rick into getting the scoop. He first says three thousand. Then he says five, then Rick tells him ten thousand dollars plus five hundred for whatever. And Lou's like, okay. So then later on, when you see Lou, he pays <laughs> Rick five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and at first, I'm like, well, maybe it's just you know sloppy continuity or whatever. But I'm like, no, I think that's that's kind of the joke gimmick with them hustling each other all the time. The money keeps changing you know mm-hmm. to see what they could get away with and uh but i loved his character because his character gets kind of a fun arc too, a side arc to where uh he does start covering the crime and then when we get to the end of it when everything comes down and rick santoro gets indicted he's now there as a legit network reporter <laughs> looking to interview rick santoro <laughs>
1: Yeah, and he's kind of playing it off almost like, the, like they don't know each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, then they start playing like, oh, well, I don't know you, what the hell? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I like that. But again, here we have De Palma doing a number of things because there's an interesting scene I caught right after the crime happens. Uh, uh, the uh, Julia Costello character, uh, Carla carla's character who i keep murdering her last name so Gugino. Uh, thank you good uh her character is covered in blood because she gets hit in the arm and there's a massive panic in the auditorium everybody's trying to leave and they lock it down what i found interesting is when they decide to get everybody's picture and information as the audiences are leaving she goes to a gift shop and is looking for a t-shirt because she's very obviously covered in blood, and there was an assassination attempt. It's kind of a red flag, no hmm. pun intended. There, uh, in the background, there's actually an old guy who's trying to get the attention of
1: the guard. Yes, I saw that.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, and it, that was just one of those things where, and there's a few other things in the background going on that actually pertain to what's going on in you know up front camera front and center and that's what i i dug about it too was that i'm like it just added that little extra something to it to where you're like okay these characters aren't just in their movie bubble like some characters are and the rest of the world isn't paying attention to them (laughs) you know what they're doing is being paid attention to uh what'd you think of that
1: yeah i mean this this movie is very um alive and uh -hmm. it does have that kind of weird immediacy to it even if the the story is completely off the rails i I do I, i just like the idea that there is some part of the world where this story is going on or could be going on um yeah it's uh i we've talked about the filmmaking i i just wonder how they they wrangled all of this Uh, together i'd like to see a documentary about the the making of snake eyes which i don't think this movie did very well so i don't know if we'd ever see one of those
0: yeah it's it's kind of unfortunate it didn't and and that's what i i I found interesting doing some more digging on diploma i've always liked his work uh you know and he's one that when people talk about uh, uh directors that, you know, have influence in that, you always see De Palma. But at the same time, this is the same guy who was nominated for multiple Razzie Awards, who's <laughs> never won an Oscar, who, you know... But yet, when you talk to filmmakers in that, his name comes up. I I find it fascinating, you know? It,
1: it, yeah, I mean, well, he's... I, I know a couple of uh, De Palma freaks, and, um, <laughs> and I say that as a term of endearment. Sure, because um, he's definitely an interesting filmmaker, and he's one of those people. Again, I haven't seen all of his filmography. In fact, there's like some big gaping holes that I should probably look to fill in. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm excited to see. Those movies, Uh, I don't want to, you know, get them all out of the way (laughs) right now. No, well, no,
0: that'd be tough. I mean, one of my favorites of his always is Scarface, Mm -hmm. obviously. And this is where, uh, just a little side, I used to really get a kick and amusement out of the Razzies when I was younger. And now that I'm older and wiser (laughs) and I look back at the Razzies, I go, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> they gave a Razzie Award nomination to De Palma for Scarface. What?
1: <laughs>
0: thank you, thank you. I uh, li- I looked it up on IMDb and it said, you know, I'm looking it up and I'm like, okay, Razzie Award for, you know, Body Double. Okay, I can see that was a cable fodder on. You know, for a long time, scantless kind of. You know, he he got it for Bonfire of the Vanities. Uh, He got nominated for Mission to Mars, and then I'm looking at this list, and all of a sudden I go, "Wait, Razzie Award nomination, Worst Director for Scarface? (laughs) (laughs) the The film that people talk about constantly (laughs) in a good way, like as a class, as one of those classics." Yeah, I
1: I can't figure out the Razzies. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't either anymore. And there was a few years ago, too, uh, and I was covering them for Wheel Live Entertainment, and I would post their nominations in that. And then in recent, last couple, two, three years, I looked at what they nominated. I'm like, really? R- really? I mean, one, they picked some low-hanging fruit, but some of them I'm just sitting here going, did you watch the same movie I did? I don't know. <laughs> and for me, De Palma, I didn't realize... Because uh, yeah, it wasn't until I I actually got into the reviewing and that that I really paid attention to every director that you know directed stuff. But then I'm like, holy crap, De Palma—he directed Carrie. I love Carrie. Scarface, mm-hmm. love Scarface. You know, he he freaking did um. Uh, uh, well Body Double which I ended up watching more times than I hit Untouchables though (laughs) I'm like holy crap Untouchables and Raising Cain was probably my first actual where I looked and recognized De Palma's name and said oh I want to watch that Uh, was Raising Cain which is another one where he's playing a lot with the camera work I've never seen Raising Cain John Lithgow phenomenal in it playing yeah just multiple roles and and just it is a really weird movie because again de palma um but (laughs) which always surprised me that he got picked for mission impossible
1: well you know uh, who would have thought (laughs) peter jackson would be doing lord of the rings based on you know bad taste and dead alive yeah and sam raimi did spider-man i know
0: uh and and uh debated over many a geekdom of if still he made one of the best superhero films of all time, Spider-Man 2. Uh, hmm. But it's funny that Snake Eyes was De Palma's follow-up to Mission Impossible. Because he had done Carlito's Way, then he did oh, Mission. That's right. He did Mission
1: Impossible, and then he did Snake Eyes. Wow. Yeah. I, and I can see I can see uh, Snake Eyes makes sense as a follow-up to Mission Impossible because they're both kind of uh, heisty and you know espionage kind of yeah, yes yeah, yeah. A and bit, movies about identities like people ripping figurative masks off <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no face off <laughs> that is that look that is my favorite internet meme Probably of the year is the picture of John Travolta just walking and it says, uh, what Nicolas Cage is, you know, wearing his mask or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, it's
0: good. It's good to see Nicolas Cage is wearing his mask in public. Yes, Uh, that's a.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I but you know, I felt so bad because Travolta's wife died like a week or two I know, ago. Like, I know. At first I thought when I before I read the caption, I was like, oh God, this isn't a making fun of Travolta now, but no, yeah. it's just kind of sweet and funny. It, it is, it is. But uh, you know, I mean so De
0: Palma, you know, he's done some very recognizable films, but if you go, you know, if you base things off of awards. He's never won that, but yet his films always get talked about. But it's funny that I don't hear more people talk about Snake Eyes. And while the script, yes, is very basic for a film person who pays attention to camera work and stuff behind the scenes and just everything, like you said, I would be fascinated to see if I could find a making of Snake Eyes because the stuff he does in here, just you're just like, wow, wow you're like I'm watching the, you know this is a, supposed to be like was supposed to be a big screen release film and you're watching stuff like this that he's doing with the cameras and the the, the direction and the narrative you're just like huh <laughs> you know <laughs> I, that's at least entertaining if you're not entertained by anything else I think
1: yeah and, and there's a lot more to be entertained by in this movie as we've mm-hmm. discussed so yeah the cage is off the gauge the cage the cage is off the gauge the gauge
0: they rage the cage rage gauge is (laughs) in full effect in this if you know what this is one of those movies where if someone said why do people talk about nicholas cage's craziness i've never what are they talking
1: about just say go rent snake eyes watch stay <laughs> guys uh, or yeah. i i would say my my all-time favorite nicholas cage moment is in honeymoon in vegas when he's waiting in line at the airport and he just goes off on that on ben stein <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, oh man he just says just get your ticket and move on get your goddamn ticket and move on <laughs> Well, and it's again you get
0: those moments in here especially in the in the stairwell scene you get that nick cage yelling moment
1: that you usually seem to get in most films uh where he just <clears throat> yeah and then he was talking to the bike the, the boxer earlier on in the yeah. bar says i looked at the fight tape lincoln yeah yeah <laughs> Like what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I looked at the tape, Lincoln. You whiffed that
0: punch. <laughs> he's just, he's just <laughs> like going on, it's like he—he'll be talking all of a sudden. He just cages out. He, he just cage rage. It's just like this is just fascinating to watch. Because
1: yeah, he's like a human exclamation point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he is kind of like, but we love it. That's. Part of the entertainment of this film is just watching his character because you, you're like just it's just fascinating to watch the character. It, you're not <laughs> quite sure how you're supposed to feel about his character, but if nothing else, you're gonna be highly entertained by this guy. Yes. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, um so I think we'll wrap it up here. Again, not a deep film story wise, but there's a lot of really cool technical stuff going on in this film and film mm-hmm. film gimmicks and things that uh, I really appreciate. I think they pulled the trigger early on uh, the Gary Sinise reveal,
1: mm, the, the yeah. Dun,
0: Dunn reveal. I think it was a little too early. I, th- I would have liked them to give it a little bit more time to breathe, to, to throw into question, even though it was pretty telegraphed. Uh, it, it still would have been nice to give it a breath a little bit but the film clips along at it 97 minutes
1: um, yeah and and one thing I forgot to mention is when he is you know in full bad guy mode and he's trying to find Carla Gugino on that uh, that hotel room floor uh, he's skulking around he's all wiry he's got that that weird tall haircut he looked like Robert Patrick in Terminator 2 <laughs> like just going door to door like trying to find you know have you seen this boy <laughs>
0: Yeah, and uh, I like that, though. I mean, it's a little bit different from Gary Sinise. He plays, when he flips the switch, the reveal, his character also changes to the audience. He goes from being Santoro's buddy to just being this cold-blooded killer who kills his own guys. And like you said, yeah, Terminator style. I mean, he's like full-on Terminator mode, got a case of the Termis. And it's (laughs) it's great to see Gary Sinise in a role like that because... Uh you could tell he's enjoying playing a bad guy. I mean, like, you know. Yeah.
1: And and also I we almost got out of here without mentioning. Hmm. I and I think this is the connection. Is this the connection? Is this part of the fifty-two degrees KB, Mr. Sinise?
0: Mr. Uh Sinise, is he part of the Is he is he the connection from last week's movie? We did forget to mention it. You're right. Uh God, I'm just
1: failing all over. Yes, he is. <laughs> He is well. I, well, I, I I just wanted to make sure that that was the that
0: was yes, the connecting that was, point, not that something was, else. No, no, that you are absolutely right. Yeah, Gary Sinise from All the Rage. It's the Rage. Uh, Nick Rage Cage. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, That's two connections again. It's two connections again. No. Um, yeah, Gary Sinise is the connection here. I was I was working up to that, uh, but you are absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, I'm he, sorry.
1: I I blew the I blew nah, your, uh, no, your thing.
0: No, I almost forgot. I have the brain of a guppy, so. Uh no uh yeah it, Gary Sinise is the link to uh, Snake Eyes and uh, there's a character in this uh, film that will be as always linked to the next film which will be a Kevin Bacon film next week Ooh. uh yeah so uh, y- give you some food to thought to think about out there folks and uh before we get our uh, well we'll get our final thoughts here and then I've got a little something to uh, reveal to uh, Mr. Ian Simmons here but first uh, our final thought with uh, Snake Eyes go ahead Ian would you recommend Snake Eyes and your final thoughts with this film
1: I would recommend Snake Eyes um, to bring it back into the realm of meta context uh, today I lost my job of 22 and a half years and my job was working in the, uh, the casino industry so to go immediately from getting the phone call to- <laughs> to watching this film to watching this movie i had forgotten what it was about because i think i'd read the premise last Mm -hmm. week i'm like oh this takes place in a casino (laughs) (laughs) wonderful place to spend the next hour and a half (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that (laughs) but it's so bonkers and fun and weird and de palmy and cagey that uh you know all my troubles were washed away (laughs) for that time so thank you very much for (laughs) recommending this movie
0: before this episode, if you listen to our Patreon at all, you'll hear our discussion. We were talking about escapism films, and this is, it, it sounds weird for the type of film it is, but this is completely a, a, a film, especially a film fan's escapism film. Um, yeah, like you said, you, with the direction and the interesting things that are, De Palma's known for, that he throws in all of his bag of tricks in this, mixed with Nicholas's cages at his peak cage in in you know the late 90s 1998 mix it together it just it's a film that you you get pulled into this film from the tracking shot you're held there by nick cage and by the end of it you're just like that was a fun escape you don't think of anything else because there is so much energy and things going on in this film uh that you're just pulled in and and it's successful in that respect in that it, it connects you to this film and pulls you into the film and keeps you there for the whole yes. 97 minutes. And thank God it was only 97 minutes. <laughs> and I say that with love because I was just having this discussion earlier with Dawn and uh, about films. Cause we're looking at some indie films uh, for the film festival. And uh, we're like, there's one film that was submitted that was two hours long. Mm. And we were discussing going, Even wide release, big budgeted films over two hours is a tough (laughs) watch. Yeah, that's that's a time commitment, you know, that that's a full on commitment. 97 to 100 some minutes that's doable. Yeah, like an hour and a half. Okay, yeah, you know, part of that you could eat dinner while you're watching it or whatever. And but two hours or more that's like a a serious commitment of time,
1: (laughs) yeah, and you really have to be confident that you're giving audiences something to really, you know, dive into over two hours. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, if you're not at that level, it can, it can be a bargain, a dicey gamble to be sure.
0: It is. And, and don't get me wrong. I, the, I've watched Titanic many times. They're, they're movies when <laughs> done, when done, right. I've watched Gettysburg. I can't tell you how many times, mm. uh, I love that movie and, and gods and generals too. Um, long films. Sure. but, snake eyes i'm glad they kept it at 97 minutes because they really trim any fat that would be in here normally say in a more modern say take is gone this this film is very lean (laughs) yeah Uh, but you want it for the type of story what they're going for that's what you want in this film you don't want it to go two hours because otherwise you're going to start losing interest or be pulled pulled out of the film uh its runtime i think helps keep you in the film quite a bit so there you have it folks yes gary sinise is connected from all the rage cage to here's snake eyes (laughs) and mr ian simmons i was thinking this at the back of my head and it finally popped into my head for you uh ken Watanabe Mm -hmm. was in detective pikachu Watanabe was in last samurai With Tom Cruise, who was in
1: A Few Good Men with Kevin Bacon. Boom! Well, there goes the rest of your week because you got to plan out how we can make our way back to Detective Pikachu, and I have to make sure I saw Pokemon go on my phone. We're gonna gonna do this. did you were you were you looking that up this entire time, or did you no. just have like a rain man moment where the, you're like, no, I was, was following the threads no i
0: was I was trying to, the tough part was thinking of the cast of Detective Pikachu besides Ryan Reynolds, but then I remember Ken Watanabe was in it, and I was like uh, oh I, uh, I have I have last excuse me, I have last samurai right here on the shelf next to me, um, and I'm like, "Hey, that's Tom Cruise, cruising there it is, hey." <laughs> <laughs> Oh. i we We used to play this at my old job all the time, so we used to just call each other up on the radio when there were other texts there, and we'd just throw out but it wasn't Kevin Bacon; it was just two random people <laughs> two two actors, and we'd try to connect them together and I'm sure my listeners have heard me tell this story before, and I do apologize. I repeat myself a bit. It's a mental deficiency, I'm sure. Um, Mercury or something from tuna. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, my best one was Grace Jones to Tina Turner. That one was a lot of fun.
1: What Um, what was the connection there? Grace
0: Jones to Tina Turner. I did it. You had to do it within six, of course, six degrees. But so you had uh, Tina Turner and Mel Gibson in Beyond Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. thunderdome um so then mel gibson and joe pesci were in lethal weapon three right. joe pesci was in casino with sharon stone so that's three films sharon stone was in uh, uh total recall with arnold schwarzenegger that's four arnold uh, schwarzenegger was in conan the destroyer with grace, grace jones
1: jones yes <laughs> See, it's also simple when you get when you get down towards the end, you're like, of course, why didn't I think of
0: that? It's always it's always the starter. It's always the starter that 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 gets you. Then after that it, it starts falling into place. But yeah, <laughs> I, I I pulled that out of my head without even looking anything up. And someone and my coworker looked at me and goes, You're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like you just you you watch way too many movies. And I'm like, yes yes i do so (laughs) there you have it folks from two gentlemen who watch way too many movies snake eyes uh we both recommend it and uh yeah so hope this piqued your interest and seek it out it is out on the streaming for rental and such or you can probably find the dvd on the cheap as well always promoting uh physical media so now's the time where i give my guest the license to shill so please ian go ahead and shill away sir
1: well, uh, you can find me at kicking the seat. That's kickseat.com. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, um, kicking the seat on YouTube, I guess. Uh, I put out a podcast, uh, two to three times a week. So I appreciate if you swung by and listened. because as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I am currently in between jobs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I might try and make a go of this, uh, YouTube slash podcast thing in earnest.
0: Give him his 4,000 hours so he can monetize. Uh, (laughs) That's not that much in a year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We won't go there. But yes, thank you, Ian, as always. Thank you, folks, for listening. And now we'll just say good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. (laughs) Thank you and good night. Hey, all my friends out there looking for more Spoiler Room goodness, then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive Spoiler Room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups, at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room as well as just how we're doing in general we appreciate your support and remember in the spoiler room the conversation is fresh but we do spoil the movies